podcast. New City is a church in Bath, Maine that exists to make disciples, develop leaders, and plant churches that multiply. This week, Pastor Joel Littlefield is preaching through Titus chapter 3, and it's the third and final message in our sermon series titled Order in the Church. We hope you are blessed by the message today. All right, church, let's go ahead and transition to our time in the Word. Uh, If you turn to Titus chapter 3, everybody, please. Titus chapter 3. I'll read the text for us this morning. It's been a full day, and I'll try to shorten my sermon. Not really, but we'll see how it goes. Um, But just um, make your focus Jesus Christ, not the time, okay? And uh, thinking about... Anything else that's going on in your life right now, this is, I really feel there's a heaviness about this message. Um, so if the whole church could just be praying, uh, not only for me, but for your own souls and for anybody that's here that may not know Christ, that the entire body would be just very sensitive to the Holy Spirit. So let's read the text. So this is uh, Titus chapter 3. We'll read the whole thing, and then I'll pray. Verse 1 says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. To speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of our Savior, God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things. So that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies, dissensions and quarrels about the law. For they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we need you today. We need your Holy Spirit to illuminate our hearts, to see the truth, to believe the gospel, to see Christ as supreme, and to see our sin as detestable in your sight. Lord, to know that your love is so unfathomable, Lord. You are so gracious. In your kindness, you do save sinners and forgive sin you actually meet the greatest need of humanity. 
And so I pray that this room today would be humble, attentive, intentional, listening, careful with our lives, Lord, that we would not waste a moment of them. Lord, let your word speak to us in practical ways. There's many practical things in this text. So God, speak to us, instruct us, steer us, lead us to repentance. Um, And above all, Lord, I pray that we would today love Jesus more than anything. Love Jesus and his work on the cross um, more than anything in our lives. Change us by your word. That is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul instructs Titus at the close of this letter to give the churches in Crete some very practical instructions. And so like I've already said, there's some practical things in here. Things on Christian ethics, the treatment of people, how to treat people. You probably saw that in the text. How to treat people in various places of society. He touches on a few different places of society in the text. How should a Christian conduct his or herself in secular society? That's one question that could be answered by reading Titus chapter 3. What is the scripture's call? What is God's call for Christians and how we should live and conduct ourselves in secular society? Or how should a Christian behave toward authorities? Because those are the two that he mentions in the beginning of the text. So he does this in a format that is clear and to the point. Right? You can read the text and you can see very clear instruction. But all of them are reminders. If you notice verse 1, it says, remind them to be submissive. And so it's important to understand that reminders are good. To be reminded of something that you've always known should never be boring or uh, redundant to you. It should just be, well, we need reminders. And so none of the apostles nor Jesus himself ever apologized for reminding his, the disciples of things that they should have already known. He just said, here, let me remind you of this because you need to know it. So that's for us this morning. These points all come by way of reminder. Even the gospel for many of you is going to be a reminder to you. Not all of you have never heard the clear gospel, but there's a chance that some of you have never heard the clear gospel of what it is that God has done to rescue and redeem sinners to himself and for himself. And what is it that he calls Christians to in our lives today? That's something that needs to be clear. So if it's a reminder, then be reminded and rejoice in the gospel with me, brothers and sisters. If it's not a reminder and it's new and God illuminates your heart and you see something today because the Holy Spirit speaks to you, Maybe it's not a reminder, but it'll be something that you should hold on to by faith, that you, by faith, cling to whatever the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart today. We're going to look at all these things this morning by way of reminder, and hopefully ourselves be reminded of a few things that are necessary. So we'll begin in verse 1. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. I'm sure very convicting already. When we read the scripture honestly, that's the key word, isn't it? Honestly, we read scripture without a self-puffed-up motivation to already assume we're doing everything right, Right? And we read the scripture and we say, God, I am not who I should be. I need you. So hopefully there's already even a sense of that. But there are two categories that Paul mentions here. 
two categories of people, authorities and then everyone else. So that pretty much just covers it. Authorities and rulers. So for Christians, we need to understand that state government and authorities, which he would be talking to as he instructs Titus here to be submissive, that state government and those bodies that are sanctioned for the promotion of good and the punishment of evil are institutions ordained by God. That's where we need to begin. This is why Paul, by authority, could tell Titus to submit to them because he knows that these authorities are instituted and ordained by God. In our submitting to authorities, we are submitting to God. The ultimate sense is that God is, God is in control. God is Lord of all. Romans 13, 1-2, a very common place to sort of work this out, says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. So, this is a fact of life that cannot be avoided. Believers need to understand this. This is what we've been called to. Now, there are some who may think that all authority outside of the church is evil. Like, if you're, you're a Christian, and no, I only listen to the Bible, and everybody else, I don't need any of that. But the problem with that is that it's completely unbiblical. <laughs> We have authority, and God has instituted authorities, even within state government and state powers. See, the Christians in Crete, the city that Paul is writing to, where Titus is going to receive this letter, an actual person in history, in the first century, is going to receive this, and he's receiving this instruction. Christians in Crete should know these things, but they need a reminder to submit themselves to the authorities and those that are rulers in that city. Paul says, be subject to them. That's the word he uses. Be subject to them. In other words, do not deny their God-given authority. I think that's maybe a good place for Christians to start. Maybe that's where you need to just deal with the matter. That they are God-given authorities. And so you worship God first as supreme. And he helps you to submit to those bodies and authorities that he has instituted. So be subject to them. But also, he even says... Remember to obey them and be ready for every good work. So we know that as Christians, in order to properly submit to and obey the government, you need to have a sense of what is good and what is evil. And you need the word of God for that. So that we are not just blindly following authorities. We have authority from God, God's word, his ultimate authority ruling our lives that helps us to see, are these bodies of authority and rulers, are they asking us to submit to something that is or is not biblical or godly? And that becomes the standard by which you obey or not obey. Does that make sense? God's word, his rule is ultimate, but scripture says obey them and be ready for every good work. So you need to know what are the good works and what is evil? What is it that authorities stand behind that shouldn't be, that, that, are, that are ungodly? And then what are those that are good that we, should, that we should get behind? We are not called to support or partner with evil works of the powers that be. We're not called to support any of that, but we are to recognize what is good and be eager, Scripture says, to do good work. Be eager to do it. So that's something that's just very practical before we get into the main body of the text and the sermon is just 
understand that. Deal with that. Seek the Lord about that. Put God as supreme over your life. He will teach you through his word what is good, what is evil, what is right, what is wrong. As a base understanding, we are to submit to governing authorities so far as they do not contradict or ask us to disobey God who is above us. That's what we need to consider. That's what we need to understand. So this is in the text, and we need, we need to deal with it. He told Timothy in a very similar type of letter, he actually says, pray for those ruling authorities. Pray for them. Pray for them. They need Jesus. They need the gospel. They need Christ. Pray for the leaders of this state. Church, pray for your leaders and for our, of our country. Pray for their salvation. Pray for their repentance. Churches need to do this. It is absolutely unchristian to refuse to pray for an evil person because they're evil, because they're doing things that you don't agree with. It is unchristian, unchristlike. Christ himself prayed and asked forgiveness for those who crucified him. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive them, Lord. So it is the heart of Christ that gives us the right attitude towards those that we would otherwise, we would just reject them. In fact, we would speak evil of them if we were left to our own devices. Pray that the good ones will perpetuate righteousness and that the evil ones will be stopped and turned to Jesus for forgiveness. And so you say this would be hard to do. Well, Crete was a Roman-occupied territory. These Christians had to learn how to submit to their rulers, but not with unconditional allegiance. Remember, in this time in the first century, what was popular? Caesar worship. And Christians would be called to show allegiance to Caesar, to Caesar or lose their life. And in that case, what would they do? Well, they would certainly not bow to Caesar, right? So we say, well, that's difficult to do. Just remember, you've not been called to worship any governing authority at the cost of your life yet, right? So where does our eyes need to be? Our eyes need to be on Christ, and we need to pray for our leaders. We need to pray. Then he gives two commands. He gives two commands. Two in the negative. Speak evil of no one and avoid quarreling. This is what he says right after telling them to submit to, to these authorities. These two commands. Speak evil of no one and avoid quarreling. Because this is exactly what we are most tempted to do when we think of our government. I think that's why that's right there. Speak evil of no one and avoid quarreling. Right after, submit to your leaders, your rulers, those who rule over you. Because we are so sinful. Our hearts are so wicked Don't do it, church. Don't be the people. Let's not be the people. And let's hold each other accountable to this standard that we would speak evil of no one. It's in plain scripture. There's no need to try to qualify your disobedience or why you act a certain way towards people. Don't do it. That's what scripture commands. And I need this reminder too because it is quite difficult, isn't it? It's difficult. And maybe, maybe some of us need to repent and ask God for forgiveness today because we have spoke evil of people. Well, there's an alternative. Jesus doesn't just say, the word doesn't say, don't speak evil of anybody and then just let them go, right? There is, there is a way to live. So don't speak evil of anybody. Crete had a reputation of legalism, gluttony, laziness, as it said in the first chapter, all sorts of evil, all of which was true. But Christians are not to speak evil of evil people. 
We know that they're evil. You can acknowledge that there is evil in this world. Even people who mistreat you, your family, the way they lay down laws, we can see very obvious things. And even you yourself have taken part in evil, wicked acts. We know that people can be quite wicked. But it's one thing to know that a person is evil or committing evil. It's, it's never the heart of Christ to slander that person. It's never the heart of Christ to slander a person, to speak evil of them, and do the evil ourselves. And that's the whole point. Because we are to remain like Christ and holy. So even as we recognize evil and want to do something about it, we don't do the evil by slandering them and becoming evil ourselves. We can only do this with the help of the Holy Spirit. So I'm calling us to that. If this is hard for you, it's hard for me too. So let's be honest about this. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. If you don't know who the Holy Spirit is, the Holy Spirit is God, the Spirit, Father, Son, and Spirit. He's a member of the triune God, a holy God, and he has been given to the church to help you do what is otherwise impossible to do and to help you obey Scripture and to point you to Christ when you have recognized your deep need. And so maybe there's a need here, and we need, to, we need the Holy Spirit for this. But uh, we need to be intentional about this, to fellowship with Christ, to see his attitude, to see how he is, and, and keep watching him. Speaking of Christ, 1 Peter chapter 2, 23 says this. Listen to this. He, Jesus, was reviled, but he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. That's what Jesus did. That's the heart of Christ. And rather, we are to be, as verse 2 here of Titus says, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. That's the command. Don't speak evil of anyone. Don't be slanderous. But be gentle to show perfect courtesy. And that's everyone. See, he went from authorities then to everybody else. We're like, well, okay, I'll pray for the authorities. Well, what about everybody else? What about my neighbors? What about this person who mistreats me? This is what the scripture says. You need, you see why you need Christ for this? We need the Holy Spirit to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. And we don't do this as a moral people trying to earn something. This is not why the scripture calls us to this sort of life, to then earn our way to heaven. But as Christians who know the heart of Christ and how he thinks towards image bearers of God, that's our motivation for this. Why we would treat people with courtesy and gentleness, because that is the heart of Christ. Now look at what he does in verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. And then interesting, he just completely, so authorities, other people, and then what about you? What about us? And then Paul becomes a little introspective and shares his heart with Titus, who then could agree with Paul and say, this is how we once were. If there's one way to learn how to treat and speak to other people, specifically non-believers, is to remember who we once were. So Christians, remember who you once were. If you follow Christ today, you did not always follow Christ. You were not born as a believer. You were once also an enemy of God. Maybe you need to confess this morning because 
You think of the evil in this world, and the first thing you do is speak evil of individuals rather than looking at the grace of Christ that changed your evil heart. Because you and I were once evil as Christians, and this is just the truth of the gospel. Maybe this is part of that clarity this morning. What you'd rather hear is that God just loves everybody, and there's really nothing that wrong with the world, and really people aren't that evil. But that's not what the Scripture teaches, and that's not true the true gospel is that we are that evil and, he, and humanity is that broken and we needed a savior. We needed Christ. And so this is a, a great way for us to practice how we treat other people is to remember where we came from. Remember who we once were. That's the truth of it, that we were all foolish, disobedient, and led astray by our passions. Be honest about this. Remember this. Check out how this is almost identical to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Paul said to the Ephesian church, you were dead. Notice past tense. This is who you were. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This is who we once were if we follow Christ today. Now, I love what Paul is doing here at the end of this letter. He's, he's now going to lay out the gospel. He's taken all of these very practical things as he's spoken to Titus, and he says, Titus, I want you to raise up leaders. The church in Crete, it needs order brought to it, so we need godly men qualified to lead these churches and to speak sound doctrine into their lives and to teach women and men how to behave and how to then pass on godliness to young men and young women. This is all very practical, but this is not possible without the gospel. So he's going to lay out the gospel here and several aspects, specific aspects and facets of the gospel as part of this reminder to them. So this is the reminder. Remember to obey your rulers, but also remember the gospel and remember who you once were. So just very clearly and simply, church, do this today. Remember the gospel. Remind yourself of who you once were. And let's rejoice together in what Christ has done. Let's rejoice in his, in his finished work. That's all, I'm, that's all we're doing, right? This is a reminder, like I said, but let's rejoice in this. Paul knows that to really affect behavior in a way that is transformative, you need the gospel. To tell people do this or that, even for me to stand up here and say, be obedient to your rulers, be gentle, be loving, be kind, that would be a wrong, it's a good message on the surface, but it's not enough. It's not enough because good works don't earn us a relationship with God. And so it's, 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 these are the things that we ought to do. These, this is what is Christ-like. And now here's the gospel because we're all going to fail. We have failed. And Jesus is perfect. And Jesus is holy. If Titus is going to teach these elders, which he has been told to do, raise up these elders in the churches, if he's going to teach these elders in churches to love the lost, to honor authorities, they need something more powerful than anything they could find within themselves. See, if this were written in modern day by modern day religion, all it would say is, look within. It would just say, look within yourself. You really are a good person. That's not what it says. They need a reminder of the gospel. So I want to do with a, with a really with the majority of the rest of the time that we have is 
is just, again, remind you, and as you listen, I just want to say again that if you hear the gospel, if you hear the good news for the first time today, again, lay hold of it. Lay hold of it. And by faith, God will forgive sins. Guys, it is such a burning desire on my heart to see God save souls in this city, in this state, in, in, our, in our towns, in our homes, in our communities. And I hope, I hope you have that same prayer. God, save souls. What are we doing here otherwise? What is the point? What is the point of our Christian lives if we don't desire others to know Jesus, that, the Jesus that we know? What's the point? So look at verse four through seven with me. He says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That is a Beautiful, beautiful text of the gospel, is it not? Brothers and sisters, there should be the biggest smile on your face right now. If you are in line with this, you are justified before God. There's nothing greater than that. But to be outside of this, there's nothing that's that's scarier than that. Nothing more serious. See, the statement, he saved us, as it says here, when the goodness and loving kindness of our God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, that statement has little meaning to the self-righteous man or woman. It has very little meaning to the self-righteous. So a person simply needs to begin by being honest. Begin by being honest. Turn from pride for a moment to realize that the deep problems of our lives All of the deepest problems of our lives are because of a sin nature that separates us from God who created you. That is the problem. That is a problem in every human being's heart. There is sin, and it is a problem. And it's not just a uh, a theory. It's not just distance. We are, by nature, sinners. You are, by nature, a sinner. So that's how we get to this point of realizing the the gravity of that statement. He saved us. And so if you think, well, saved me from what? Then you don't understand your sin and, and the fact that we have broken the commands of God and we are enemies of God because we disobeyed him. We rebelled against him. Malice, envy, hatred, foolishness, and pride following the passions of the flesh, as he said here in the text, whether they be sexual in nature or gluttonous or greed, whichever one, whatever category of sin, these are outworkings. This behavior that we see in ourselves, even as Christians, that we fail at times and our flesh overwhelms us, thank God for the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ. But these are outworkings of a wretchedly depraved heart that no amount of human effort can change. You can't make yourself better. And I am convinced, and I I know many of you are here too, that what we see in churches gathered all over the world are often misrepresentations of what's actually happening in your lives. It is easy to pretend 
It's easy. But before a holy God, there is no hiding and there is no pretending. So, we, with honesty, we admit we are sinners. We are sinful. But then the goodness and loving kindness of God appeared and saved us. You see how that's important to then to even understand what it means to say he saved us and to really appreciate the loving kindness of God who appeared. If only everyone in this room could say by conviction of the gospel and by experience he saved me when he appeared to me. Many of you can say that. I know I'm speaking to my brothers and sisters. We have a beautiful family, New City Church. If you're a member here, you are a believer. We don't allow members here that are believers. Why? That's the whole point of being members of the body of Christ. It means you have believed the gospel, right? And so that's so, so, so important for their... Well, that's why the local church is so important. That's why it's so important. But I do pray that everybody can say this. By experience and by faith in the gospel, he saved me when he appeared to me. If you can't say that, then you are not in Christ. And you are in grave danger. When did he appear? So I just want to talk about this a little bit. When did he appear? Well, Jesus Christ does stand in history as an actual person, self-proclaimed son of God, sent from heaven to earth by the will of his Father in heaven. Jesus came to earth, and he appeared, and he, and he was on earth. He appeared to humanity. And people that still wrestle with that, are like, mm, A.D., what does that even mean? The whole world knows that Jesus came. The whole world, all of history knows. You just either love him or you despise him. There is no in-between. So he appeared in this way. Make no mistake about this. He is in history. No serious thinker dismisses the fact that he did. The question is, is what do you do with that fact that he came? His appearing into history was not enough, though, in and of itself. We know this. He actually came to accomplish something, not to just show himself and be a part of history, but to do something, and he did something. 1 Timothy 3.16, familiar text, it'll be on the screen. He was manifested in the flesh. That's the appearing. That's, we thank God for that. But what did he do? Vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up into glory. He accomplished something. I want you to just focus for a moment on that phrase. He was vindicated in the spirit. That focuses on on something that is pivotal for Christianity. How was Jesus vindicated? How was he vindicated? Somebody can answer if you want. I'll answer for you then. (laughs) He was risen from the grave. He was risen. Jesus Christ was vindicated. He claimed to be God, King, and Messiah, and was rejected by the Jews and crucified by the Romans for that very claim. That's why he was crucified, because of who he claimed to be. Satan's attempt to silence him was God's providential plan to save sinners through his death. Three days later, he was vindicated when he walked out of his tomb. There's nothing better to vindicate a person's claims than to walk out of your own tomb. I am who I said I am. He is who he said he was. He still is God. He's Savior. He is Messiah. 
And so he was vindicated. He was seen by angels. Where do we see that? Right outside the grave. Angels saw him. They announced him to Mary and to the women there. They were marveled and awestruck by what they were seeing, but seen by angels. Told the women to tell the disciples, so he was preached then and believed on by many who saw him, but then he was taken up into glory. So we don't see him here, but he was here, and he's returning. He's going to come back again. It's not a fairy tale. Jesus actually rose from the dead. Remember, he was vindicated. He was here. He was crucified. He went into the grave, and he walked out of his own grave, and he was seen by over 500 eyewitnesses. He was vindicated. He's not a blasphemer. He is actually God. Glorious. He saves because of his loving, loving kindness and goodness. So he was vindicated. But let's look back at this, what the text says. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, the loving kindness and goodness So to this one might say, but I don't need a savior. So I just want to address that for a moment. If there's anybody here that would think that way, I I don't need a savior. I have my good works. I'm doing just fine. And there are many today who believe they can save themselves. So if not in this room, take this as an equipping that there are people who really truly do today still believe they can save themselves. Church, this is not a hypothetical situation. Don't treat it as such. There are people who are lost and truly trying to save themselves from a plight that they know exists in their heart. The reality is that we live in an age of spirituality. Spirituality is all around us. We hear a little bit of it in France, we just were told, and we know it's here in our culture too. Spirituality is everywhere. Some in this very room have been confronted with various doctrines of demons that focus your eyes inward on yourself telling you that within you there is hope. Just find it. Discover it. You're not that bad, and the source of salvation is yourself. That is, those are doctrines of demons, and it's rampant. I don't know if you've encountered it. I don't know if you've believed it. I don't know if you are believing it, but it's not true. There is no hope within yourself. You can't discover it there. You won't find it by looking within, and you are not the source of your salvation. But Jesus came because humanity is that bad. Jesus came for that reason, and nothing we do can help our helpless state. Look, according to Scripture, we need a merciful work of God. Verse 5, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. According to his own mercy. Mercy is so important and so mysterious when we think about it. Think about this for a moment. Sinners and saints alike, listen to this. God is so holy and so right and glorious and set apart as creator above all things and omnipresent, all-knowing, all-powerful and just. How could any person stand in his presence? How can any person? We cannot. But according to his mercy, he looks upon helpless sinners to save. That's the only answer, because of his mercy. See, God is holy and he's set apart. We cannot have him apart from his mercy. Remember this, saints. 
Remember this and rejoice in this. It's because of his mercy. How, in fact, does he save a person? As in what is actually done in this saving work? Well, here's what it said in verse 5. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs. In other words, it's all through Jesus Christ. Salvation is through Jesus. Hope is through Jesus. Redemption and forgiveness is through Jesus Christ. Purpose in life, is that what you're thinking about these days? What's my purpose? Your purpose is found through Jesus who made you, who created you. Through Jesus, we are washed of our sin. Through him, we are made new, given a new heart, and given saving faith as a gift. That comes through Jesus. So you notice how it uses the word, by the washing of regeneration. See, regeneration is the proper term for salvation in the New Testament. I believe we need to use that word more. Not just, are you saved, or have you said a prayer, but are you regenerated? Have, has a person been regenerated? That is the actual question that needs to be considered. Because it goes beyond the mere decision made by an individual. By regeneration, we mean once dead, but now alive. I was blind, but now I see. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was hopeless, but I've been given hope. Regenerated, a brand new creation in Jesus Christ, made brand new. People don't need to clean up their lives. They need a brand new life. Sinners don't need to do better. They need to be changed. And it is only Christ and his work on the cross that was accomplished by Jesus that applied by the Holy Spirit actually regenerates a person and gives them brand new life. Whole new creation. Amen, church? How does this come to us? It is poured out richly by the Holy Spirit. You see that in the text? It was poured out by the Holy Spirit and to the one who lays hold of it by faith, and we know these things from other places in Scripture, to hold it, lay hold of it by faith, that person is justified through faith by the grace of God and made heirs with Christ according to the hope of eternal life. Eternity is at stake. Verse 8, he goes on, this is trustworthy, so insist on these things. This is trustworthy, this is amazing, isn't it not? Paul, hey, Titus, this is trustworthy. This is the stuff that needs to be spoken and preached and continually perpetuated through the church. Equip your leaders with it. Teach sound doctrine. Oppose false teachers with this sound doctrine that is ultimately upheld by the truth of the gospel. This is trustworthy. Insist on these things. Not just the specific and practical, but the gospel insist on this the gospel of Jesus Christ in other words this is truth that actually transforms hearts so insist on this isn't it amazing how we go with the gospel and as soon as somebody resists we then favor them with other things that could work we don't I don't know if we insist on the gospel enough no this is the only way This 
This is the truth that transforms hearts and changes sinful desires into holy affections. So then you can actually instruct a person, hey, be kind and gentle in the name of Jesus because you are a new person in Christ. And because of what Christ has done, this is now how we live. This is what we do. This is how we treat people because of Jesus This is what he's been instructing Titus in this short letter because Paul believes very much that if Titus and the leaders in Crete and the Christians there are going to live fruitful lives, they're going to need to rely fully on the hope that is in Jesus Christ and we need to rely there as well. If they want order, which so much of this letter was about, order in the church and in our lives and in our homes, having there be order there, if we want those things and if we ultimately... If we want order in our messy hearts, then we're going to need the power of the Spirit who regenerates and renews lives. Looking at verse 8 to 11, the saying is trustworthy, and I want to insist you on these things so that those who believed, have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. So in these last few verses, he encourages them to stay the course. He even tells them a few things to avoid. So we, should, we would do well to listen to these things. Avoid foolish controversies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law. Because that's ultimately what was happening here. Remember, there was the circumcision party. There were Christians who were telling other Christians that in order to really believe, to be saved, not only did you need to believe in Christ, but you had to still obey the Mosaic law. And these were, it was heaping on them law that, that, did, that wasn't necessary. It diminishes the work of the gospel. So there was all kinds of controversies and and. and, and talk about and arguments about how much of the law was needed for us. And so he's saying, look, avoid these sorts of controversies. Just preach the gospel. Believe the gospel. He even tells them to avoid divisive people who won't heed warnings to stop being divisive. What would happen if we actually did that? What would happen if we did that? And think about that even in your own family's context, in your personal life. But this is being talked about in the church. Division is not accepted in the church. It's not welcomed here. And we're told how to do this. Warn them. That, that speaks of love. Warn them a second time. That speaks of love and grace. And if they don't repent, have nothing to do with them. Right? So just take, take those as practical things. But these are things that he's instructing Titus to do. So much about this letter is very practical for believers today. But with our just a few minutes, I want to, to take the, uh, the next few minutes that we have, and let's just exalt a little bit further in our Savior. And I, I, want, you to invite, I want to invite you to join me in that. Just think about this. He is a good Savior. And he's a good Father. The Father who sent our Son, his Son, into the world is a good Father. I'm so thankful that mercy is available for sinners as we've talked about, mercy is available for sinners. And this mercy appeared, not in a theory or in an abstract mystic religion, but in the historical Jesus 
whose body actually suffered on a cross for sinners and who rose from the dead and ascended into heaven where he reigns in glory today. He did this. I'm so thankful for that mercy appearing to me. And I pray that you are all able to say that very same thing. My appeal to you this morning is that you entrust your heart to him. If you've not, then do so. Entrust your heart to the only Savior who actually did appear in history. If you want to search the world and see if there's anybody else who qualifies as Savior, feel free. But there is nobody who appeared like this. Unlike every false Savior, he didn't come and tell you, you can do it. You can do it. Just try harder. If you're good enough, maybe God will forgive you. Search the world. Every other guru and savior appeals to humanity, appeals to a so-called goodness that is within the human heart, but it's not there, and it has never worked. Jesus stands alone as the savior who says none of these, but he appeared as a merciful savior with pity on disobedient and foolish sinners to speak truth to those in need of grace and kindness and forgiveness. And he gave us the truth. And the truth is, we can't save ourselves. Trust in Jesus Christ. Trust in Christ. Look to the cross. Look to the gospel, what Jesus did there. The true gospel says you can't do it. Jesus did it. He paid for sins on the cross. He paid for it, finally. The true gospel begins with the real problem of sin that separates us from God, but a real God whose grace and love was manifested in his son, Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross. Love that was shown and proven there. The true gospel calls sinners to repent of all sin. If you've never been told to repent of sin, yet somebody has claimed to tell you the gospel, they have not told you the true gospel. The true gospel calls sinners to repent of sin, but then calls us to turn to the Savior whose kindness is made evident in his humble sacrifice for you. So not only, we're not just repenting and trying to do better, we're repenting and turning to Jesus Christ who paid for sin by his sacrifice. Jesus shed his blood for us. He shed his blood for us. There's nothing more kind than God becoming a man in order to relate to our needs and then to die for us. There's nothing more kind than that. To be a sinner is to be unrighteous before God and fully deserving of punishment in hell. That is true. And to receive the just wrath of God. But the Spirit is here this morning going where the true gospel is preached and has the power to awaken and regenerate Souls who are enslaved to sin. So I'm going to ask the band to just come back up. We're going to do the ending just a little bit different this morning. We will close with worship together. But I do want you to pray with me. We have filled this room with the sounds of praise. We have spoken the gospel. The gospel has been preached. And it is now our time to respond to the gospel to respond to the word of God. So I'm asking that as we pray that you seriously consider what your response must be today. Will you guys pray with me?
before I pray, I just want to say that the, the appeal that I'm about to make, it goes only as far as what Scripture actually permits. I do not want to manipulate. No preacher can manipulate an emotional decision. It's really not about emotion. It's about the truth that you've heard, and if you've heard the truth, and you know Jesus is who he says he is, and you know your sin is actually as serious as your sin is, then a couple questions could enter your mind. Who are you following? Who are you trusting in? Are you trusting in yourself, or are you trusting in the only God and Savior, Jesus Christ? He's the answer to the deepest problem in your life. So all of us, every one of us, Christian or non-Christian, need to surrender today. Call on his name with childlike faith. If you need forgiveness and you're a Christian because you've messed up and you keep messing up like I do, look, I know I need Jesus. But if you come in this room and you've carried sins in here because you are a sinner and you've messed up and, you, and you're not sure what to do, go to Christ. Turn to Christ. Call on his name. Turn from your wicked ways and put your faith in the Messiah. And should you choose, should there be anybody that chooses to follow him today and should that choosing be a work of the Spirit because God is prompting you, then, then may you be that one who has been given faith as a gift to believe and trust. And then today you can finally rest from all your labors. So just let me think think about that for a moment. I want you to think about a life where you rest from your labors. Resting, actually resting, not striving to please people, not striving to do better because you think you need to save yourself, but actually resting in Jesus Christ. So we can all respond that way, but as I pray, I am praying that God would work and move in people's hearts and bring whoever needs to be brought to repentance and faith that he would do that today. So would you just pray with me? Father, we... We come to you humbly because, wow, how awesome it is to have been washed over again by your word that is true. Oh, it must be true because Jesus was vindicated. It must be true because no man would write a book like this that would speak so honestly about human depravity. I pray there would not be a single rebellious soul in this room. Thank you for the loving kindness of Jesus Christ that appeared in history, but even appearing every time the gospel is preached and it is in our hearing that Jesus is Lord and he is the only way to eternal life and he forgives sins and justifies sinners who deserve hell through faith in the finished work of the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for setting that perfect example, for sacrificing yourself, for laying down your life, for willingly opening your arms on the cross to take the nails and to be crucified in our place. Thank you, thank you. And the church, we rejoice. We thank you, God, for saving us. Would you please... By the work of your spirit, draw any who need to be brought to repentance today and and to the knowledge of the truth that Jesus would be taking up residence in people's hearts even now, Lord, that the spirit would overwhelm people today, sinners. 
that are struggling and striving and not resting in the finished work, but striving to, to do better, to earn their own way. God, let us stop striving in the flesh, but, but rather trusting in Christ. We look to you, Lord. We look to you because you alone are able. So, Lord, I pray you grant forgiveness through your Son, that you'd give strength to husbands and wives those whose marriages are struggling because they are not looking to the gospel. Parents and children who are at odds because the gospel is either not central or it gets forgotten and we, leave, we let our flesh rule. Forgive us, God, forgive us, and thank you for the example of Christ. Help us. When all we do is show evil and speak slanderously, forgive us, God. Thank you for new life. Thank you for babies in this room and next door. Thank you for evidences of your grace everywhere that you are creator, you are God, you are sustainer of life, you are a good father. So, that's my plea, God. May it be the plea of every heart here to not be filled with pride, but be humbled before you today and say, Jesus, just take my life into whatever you want. Thank you. Thank you, Father. We worship you now. Lord, may this room fill with praise. And may we not soon forget and turn away because of life and because of emotions and because of this world. Nothing else matters but you. So may we live everything that we do through you and for your glory. So we worship you now. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. For more messages from New City Church, check us out on any of the major podcasting platforms. Or if you want to find our gathering times, location, or any other information about New City, check out our website at bathnewcity.church. We hope to have you join us next week.